like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation. We'll be in chapters 4 and 5 this morning, those selected verses that were read for us. We gather this morning to celebrate the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Having died, he rose from the grave, and 40 days later, he ascends to the right hand of God the Father to reign now and forevermore. So on this Lord's Day, we are to read portions of the book of Revelation and it was given to the Apostle John, who, like us, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He, too, was entering worship. And like us, John shares in the life, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, he writes this. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So today, let us hear what John has seen that we might share in the tribulation and in the kingdom of Jesus as we patiently endure with him in Christ. To that end, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have given us your word. Would you bless us now as we hear, as we receive that which you have for us in your word? Would we behold Jesus more clearly, that in the beholding we be, might become more like him from one degree of glory to the next? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as you're sitting there hearing this book read, those passages read, the book of Revelation, it serves to awaken our imaginations. It's like a poem uh, that uses words to enliven heart and mind in different ways. Our imaginations, they have to be shaped by the text itself. So we'll humbly submit. Early on in the passage of chapter 1, we would read, Blessed is the one who reads these words of their prophecy aloud. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That's verse 3 of chapter 1. That's how it opens. Two things. It says that things are going to be happening soon. Whatever John sees is going to be happening soon. All who hear the prophecy are secondly then to keep this word. That is to put it into practice. Whatever it's commanding, whatever it's illustrating, whatever it's imaging forth, it will be happening soon. And it is to be kept. It is to be practiced. Which means in part for us today that we should probably spend less time seeking to identify events and characters of our contemporary age with the images given to us. Rather, we should hear what is commanded, what is exhorted, what truth is shown forth, and do our best in Christ to keep it. Okay, that's the only directive I'm going to give on reading Revelation. There's a lot more we could say, but that's it, I promise, maybe. Um, there is a promise early on, though. Blessed is the one who reads it. Blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy, which means the question for us today as we look at the ascension of Jesus Christ. We're going to be asking the question, well, how does the ascension of Jesus Christ shape heaven and earth today and for all eternity? How does the ascension of Jesus Christ shape us, shape heaven, shape earth today and for, today and for eternity? Uh, the revelation was given to John uh, but, but first, it was written to these seven churches in Asia, chapters 2 and 3. It's just these letters to these real people in real places, in real time and space. And after that seventh letter is completed, the next breath, we get chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. 
And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. John ascends in the Spirit on the Lord's day, ascends to heaven, and he takes us with him. We get to ascend with John into the heavenly places. Now, to ascend, there's different meanings for ascend. Typically, we can ascend one of two ways. We can ascend in altitude, or we can ascend in, in glory. There's a transmigration or a transfiguration. There's movement upward or, or transformation inward to outward. John here is ascending in both ways, in altitude, in the spirit. He goes up to heaven. He's obeying the command, come up here. And so he's taken up there. But we can also ascend in glory, that is being transformed from one degree of power to the next. As a king ascends only a few steps in altitude, he ascends in glory a massive amount when he is crowned as king, receiving honor and power and glory and might. So Jesus' ascension promises both of these things, that those who hide themselves in Christ will be ascended up to heaven in him and with him, but also that we will be ascending in glory and being transformed here on earth. Because Jesus himself ascends in both ways. And this is revealed to John in chapter 4. When John ascends to this heavenly realm, what does John see? What, is his, what do his eyes behold? Well, he sees a throne in heaven, doesn't he? And he sees on it the Ancient of Days, God the Father seated on the throne. And where else do we see imagery of a throne with God seated on him except in the sanctuary, in the, the Holy of Holies, in the temple, in the tabernacle? What John sees has been shown forth to his people for generation after generation. In the center of the holiest place, the most holy place, you have the ark which is the, 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 the throne of God the Father who would descend in his cloud of glory to sit and to dwell amongst his people. The sanctuary by which all other sanctuaries are formed is in heaven. Every sanctuary, every temple that was constructed by God's people was a mirror image, was an imitation of what John is witnessing here. And there's a principle for us in that reality, that it is on earth as it is in heaven, that have, things happen in heaven first and then they happen on earth. See, John envisions the throne room of God, which is in heaven, and we realize that the heavenly pattern there has been on display in earth, forming the sanctuary, tabernacle, temple. The places of worship imitate the heavenly worship. Which means, as we extend it to our day today, as we enter sanctuary worship this morning and each week, we're entering, we're sharing and participating in the heavenly realities that have been going on since eternity. In Jesus' ascension, what happens is that Jesus, in a sense, he earthizes heaven. Does that make sense? See, what happens in the incarnation is that, that, that Jesus heavenizes earth. But then when he ascends, he earthizes heaven. See, Jesus is going both ways. Heaven and earth converge in Jesus Christ. This is why his ascension is vital. Ultimately, his ascension is preparing for a new heavens and a new earth to descend finally and fully. But we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Verse 3. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, 
and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. In Scripture, you've got gems or you've got precious stones, and they always represent people, glorified people, glorified in God's grace. What John sees here is he sees, uh, he sees God clothed in the glory of his saints, which explains why when you read about those weird passages with priestly garments, line after line about priestly garments, they're so boring. This is in part what's happening there. You've got the breastplate of the priest, and what does it have? It's got precious gems studded all over it. And that's to represent all the people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel. The priest is clothed, as it were, with the glory of God's people. In the same way, what John sees here is God himself clothed with the glory of his people. And in God's counsel, there are 24 rulers who are pure white as priests, who are crowned with golden crowns as kings of priests and kings to rule and to govern. John experiences then Sinai, Mount Sinai-like eruptions, verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Getting weird, but it's okay. God's glory is manifest in the holy space. There's God the Father on the throne. There's these 24 ancient rulers or elders. There's these four mystical creatures which seem weird to us, but they're first mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 1. And all these are sharing the glory in the holy of holies. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power. See, praise is being sung in the heavenly places. And as you read it, you realize a few things, that this song that's being pra uh, praised here and sung, it's loud, it's beautiful, and it's glorious. But as we go down, John sees something else, chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and, its, and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. A message, long written, long prepared, is held in the right hand of the Ancient of Days. Its author is its possessor. His word, his will, has been hidden for, by the ages. This scroll is wrapped in seven strings and sealed with seven wax seals. The mighty right hand of God looks but sees none in all of creation, heaven, earth, or under the earth. None is worthy to open the scroll, to reveal God's word here. Verse 4, And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John is seeing all this, and from his perspective, he feels it, and he begins to weep. Why would John weep? But it says, because none were worthy, none are righteous, no, not one, though heaven Though all in heaven or on earth or under the earth desire to see what's in this scroll, they need this word of salvation. But none has authority 
None has the power, the wisdom, the might to reveal this word. Something's terribly wrong, and John weeps over it. Something's terribly wrong with the world in need of this saving word, but unable to receive it. Something's wrong with John, who, like Isaiah, trembles as he enters God's holy presence. And he weeps, for he is a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. And even heaven is found wanting here, aren't they? There is no one, no ancient ruler there, no mythical, mystical creature in heaven. No one is worthy to open the scroll or to break its seals. And so John weeps. And we, too, would do well to weep when our eyes would behold the brokenness of this world. When our eyes would behold the fragility and the waywardness of our own souls, we would do well to weep. But if you're like me, it's a lot easier to whine. Whining is my default. Whining is the default of our society when tragedy strikes, when things fall apart. But John apprentices us here well in chapter 5 when he simply weeps. We weep too. But our sorrow does not have the last word. Verse 5 of chapter 5, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Behold, the ascended Christ. Revelation does not follow a linear time frame as you read through it. It makes it kind of confusing. What John sees here happens probably decades before he writes the letters to those seven churches. But what he witnesses is what we're celebrating this day, this Lord's Day, as we are in the Spirit. We celebrate the ascension of Jesus Christ. And, and who does John see ascended to heaven? The Lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what Genesis 49 describes, the kingly line of the tribe of Judah. As a king, as a lion, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And this lion of Judah is also the root of David. It's all of David and all that Israel were and were to be is rooted in this one who comes as the root of David. He comes in the fullness of time. He was always to be the flourishing tree or even the chopped off stump of Israel. He's what Israel was always pointing to, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and he is the conqueror, for he has conquered. What John sees is a Jesus who is victorious. He's victorious over sickness, over Satan, over sorrow, even over death itself. And Jesus' vindication rests in his victory. He truly is the Son of God, the only one worthy to open the scroll, to reveal the Word, because He is God's Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and is now resurrected flesh, dwelling among the heavenly court. He conquers by being slain, verse 6, between the throne and the four living creatures. And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The ascended Christ here is victorious in his death and in his resurrection. And he is vindicated in his ascension. Who's worthy? That's the question they're asking up in heaven. Who's, who's worthy to ascend through that crystal glass sea? 
before the, the throne of God there, those baptismal waters of judgment? Who is worthy to pass through those waters? Who is worthy to receive from God's holy right hand, standing in the midst of the throne room as the Ark of the Covenant stood in the Holy of Holies? Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, the Lamb standing as though one who is slain. Jesus comes conquering in his death. Jesus comes victorious in his resurrection. Jesus is raised up, vindicated in his ascension. We have the image of seven horns. It's the symbol of complete power and authority granted to this one. We have the seven eyes who judge the world. We have the seven spirits or the Holy Spirit of God, which the Lamb sends out to the four corners of the earth, which is exactly what Jesus promised that he would do, and he did beginning at Pentecost and beyond. What John envisions is the Almighty God ruling and governing in heaven who's been awaiting in the fullness of time when His own Son would take on flesh. His own Son would fulfill all that Abraham, all that Moses, all that David, all that His chosen people failed to be and to do. And this Son would give Himself as a sacrificial lamb. He becomes the true and the final Passover sacrifice, once for all payment for all sin. And in Jesus' resurrection begins the first fruits of the resurrection for all things. Heaven itself is being made new in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As those in heaven have been asking, who is worthy? Who is worthy? The answer comes when Jesus ascends. The answer is the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain ascending as a lion of the tribe of Judah, ascending to the right hand of God the Father. He is worthy, and so he takes up the scroll. Chapter 5, verse 8. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. See, in Jesus Christ, heaven converges with earth. Earth converges with heaven. The heavenly court falls down in worship before the Lamb. As the prayers of the saints ascend, they go up in the golden bowls, a pleasing aroma before the throne. And music is now being played and sung, which has never been heard or played before. When Jesus ascends, resurrection life begins for all of creation. Prayers of the earthly saints join voice with the heavenly saints and all sing a new song at the ascension of Jesus. Verse 11, And I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and ever. This is a new song. It's a sevenfold song of praise. There's power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. 
the ascension of Jesus will be recounted later on in the book of Revelation too. And what we see happening there is that like heaven itself pauses. It's silent for a time. It's the, it's the deep breath before a plunge of praise. Here we have a second and a third song being sung, praising the worthiness and the glory of Jesus. Worthy are you because you gave yourself. You were slain yourself to ransom people for God. And that blood is sufficient to save from the four corners of the globe, from every tribe, tongue, people, nation. All creation joins the heavenly chorus here, praising Father and Son in the presence of the Spirit. And this, this is the ascension that we celebrate today. We're joining with what John has seen happening in heaven. We're joining with what the prayers of the saints have been honoring. In Jesus' incarnation, heaven has converged with earth. And in Jesus' ascension, earth converges with heaven. Verse 14, And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down, and they worshipped. That's the end of the book, actually. I know there's a lot more that comes, but the aim of every passage of this book is worship. And that's where the whole book ends, in the worship of the living God, the triune God, who was, who is, and who is to come. The last word of this heavenly vision of John and the Spirit, it's the aim of the entire book. It's the, enti it's the aim of all of creation. It is worship. And the ascension assures followers of Jesus that we can share in the worship of heaven with those heavenly creatures, with eyes of faith and, and hearts full of hope. We trust that what we've been about this morning, what we're about as we gather week in and week out, is that we are worshiping on the Lord's day, is that in Christ we are taken up in Him to dwell in the heavenly places in the Spirit, and that our prayers are like the, the aroma from those golden bowls of incense, and they, they go upward ascending to the Lord himself, that our voices that confess our sin, that profess our faith, that sing our praise, they join voices singing the praise of our triune God. And we join in with that new song of Jesus' redemption, long promised and finally accomplished at the cross. And that salvation is secured in his authoritative ascension because he is worthy. And did you know what happens at the very end of this passage here? Where are the elders? They fall down. The heavenly creatures fall in worship. The ancient rulers fall down as well. Those ancient rulers vacate their thrones. And for the remaining chapters, John reveals the contents of that scroll that the Lamb is worthy to open, the seals to be broken as the ascended Jesus opens and reveals that word and the trumpets and he trumpets forth that word and he pours forth judgment upon a world that is raging against the Lord and against his anointed one and the message throughout the whole book the message due to the ascension of Jesus Christ is one and the same and it's this right in the middle of the book he says here is a call here's a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Whatever else has happened in the book of Revelation, this is the call for every generation of followers of Jesus Christ. Endure in your faith in Jesus Christ. As Jesus suffered and died, so you all 
will suffer for his name. And therefore, you've got to hold fast to the risen and ascended Jesus. A war continues to rage on, but it is not against flesh and blood, though you will be tempted to flee. But know that Jesus wins the day. The dragon Satan has been thrown down. The beastly nations will rage but ultimately fail. And the blood of his martyr church, of Jesus' body, though shed, it will ascend in Jesus himself. Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ has conquered Satan. Sickness, even death has died in the death of Jesus Christ. And Jesus will continue to conquer. In him rests your victory. In him rests our vindication. And so what we do every Sunday is we join Jesus in heaven to share in his victory. And our warfare is fought with song through word and sacrament. And no one can thwart that. Our hope is in the sacrifice and the intercession of the ascended Christ, that he might sustain us, that he will condemn the wicked. Our victory is rehearsed every Sunday as we share in the feast of victory with our Lord Jesus Christ, who is vindicated in his ascension. And as we ascend in the spirit in him, we too share in his vindication now and forevermore. So we conclude our time with this. Praise be to God. We who follow him will suffer on behalf of his name. But we who hold fast will also ascend in him to dwell with God and he with us now and forevermore. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have not left us to our own devices, but you have given us your word and that you have given us yourself through your son, Jesus Christ, who is risen and ascended to sit at your right hand to dwell with you, to reign with you now and forevermore. Would you bless us now as we have received your word, conform us more into the image of your dear Son from one degree of glory to the next. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.